This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. Well, this morning we are sitting down with James King, who is the CEO of Titan Hospitality, which is probably not a name known to too many people, but it is certainly the parent corporation of something that is probably known to everybody, but they are the owner of Blackwall Hitch. Uh, Smashing Grapes and Blackwall Barn and Lodge up in Gambrels. And thank you very much for inviting us into your office. I see we've got a, a stash of tequila over my left shoulder, and I'm thinking this is probably going to be the best damn podcast we've ever done. There you go. Help yourself. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, what we really wanted to talk about is that you are one of the larger restaurant groups in the area, and you've been through the ringer in the last two and a half years uh, and that's probably putting it very mildly when we entered into this pandemic you had uh, a couple franchises in the green turtle and uh, got the got the phone call from the governor said yeah no you're out of business uh, and, it was, and you know somehow throughout this whole thing you have uh, persevered you've expanded you've uh, faced all sorts of obstacles there and you really do have a good pulse on what's happening in the restaurant industry and you before we started recording we talked about that you even had some experience well the green turtles were a franchise but also in the uh, as opposed to the higher end food you had fast food experience mm -hmm. so you've really got a great sort of overall picture of what the heck is happening and we wanted to sort of touch base and figure out what's going on Sure. Well, it's certainly been uh, a difficult couple of years, no question. Our industry, and, and certainly there's many industries that were negatively impacted by the pandemic. I think the restaurant industry, would, it would be hard to argue that we weren't one of the most impacted. Um, and, you know, we're really coming into what we consider to be a second phase of the pandemic. Um, the first phase was being shut down, carry out only, 50% capacity, and then 25% capacity, then outdoor dining, and then, you know, we went through a dozen different iterations of what our business model looked like. And so now we're in the second phase where it's just as challenging, but different challenges. Uh, we have revenue, we have people coming through the doors, which is great, but we have an incredible staffing shortage and labor challenge that we're dealing with right now. We've got inflation and prices going through the roof coming in the back door. Um, and we've got logistical and supply chain issues that have become a huge hurdle for us every single day. And so we've really entered into this second phase where the, the the daily challenges are very different than what they were a year or two ago, but just as difficult to navigate through. And so we are seeing the general public wanting to get back out and spend money and gather with friends and family that they haven't seen and rebook birthday parties and graduation parties. And so all that's fantastic. Our challenge now is that we lost about a third of the industry from employees in the industry have just gone on to do different things. They couldn't pay their bills. They couldn't feed their families. Understandably, they had to look for other forms of employment. Some went to third-party delivery, Uber, some went to Amazon, some found jobs where they could work from home and watch their kids. And so, unfortunately, we haven't seen those individuals migrate back into the industry as we all thought we would. And so I think the industry as a whole, and it's not just here in this region, but I've been traveling a lot lately, and it's the same way in Nashville, it's the same way in Dallas, it's the same way in Florida. We really have a challenge industry-wide on staffing the restaurants for the volume 
volume that we're dealing with, which I can tell you there's nothing more frustrating for an operator after going through the two years that we did and losing all of that money and being on the verge of bankruptcy than to have the money in front of you, but you can't take it because you don't have the staff to adequately do well, that. I mean, what's the, what's the answer? I mean, I get the people, you know, we need we all need to eat. Yeah. And so we do take other jobs or whatnot. And I, I imagine that people will, some are sitting there saying, well, gosh, you know, why was I busting my chops serving? Others are like, now, okay, now I'm settled in this. I don't know if the next pandemic is coming. I mean, that's got to be a, a very real fear sure. for somebody. What's happening with the industry? Uh, you know, you guys are pretty robust, but it's, you know, I mean, I imagine going back to a serving position or any position within a restaurant, you're saying, thing, well, they're open, but, you know, are they going to be able to make it after the the hit yeah. they've taken for two years. I mean, what's the solution to you to this? So I would say it's a couple of things. I mean, I will say that our hourly employees are making more money than they ever have. Um, the feedback that I get, I mean, the ones that are in the trenches right now, you know, they're loving it. Um, they're tired. They're working a lot. But a lot of them have taken the attitude of this isn't going to last and I'm going to make as much money as I possibly can. We've seen wages increase in our industry fivefold, quite frankly. Um, the tips that the servers and the bartenders are making, these guys are walking out with several hundred dollars a night. Even our hourly employees um, have all gotten a 30% pay increase from the time the pandemic started to now, simply because the market demands it. And at mm -hmm. the end of the day, if you need people in the kitchen, you're going to pay them what you got to pay them. And they have options right now. And so it's definitely a worker's labor force right now. They can demand their pay. So I think, you know, one of the solutions is letting people know how lucrative it can be to come back into the industry right now. There are positives about schedule wise it's somewhat flexible but there's negatives too it's weekends it's evenings it's long nights and what we've tried to do and and we started this prior to the pandemic fortunately so we had some runway we restructured the company several years ago with putting our culture first and we decided that if we wanted to a attract but b retain good employees it had to be more than just the money right we had to provide a work environment in which they were treated like family and that, you know, yes, people do look at the bottom line and the paycheck, but a lot of people will tell you that I would rather give up a few dollars and work in a work environment where I'm respected. I like my coworkers. We, we work as a family. We work as a team. So we really focus on building a positive workplace culture, and we do that in, in a number of manners, but it's a daily focus. We start the day and we end the day with that, and we believe that that's the solution long-term, short-term, and long-term to finding quality employees and keeping them because retention is important. You're not, you're not alone in that. I mean, I know that uh, Anthony and Michael with uh, the Irish Restaurant Group, Galway Bay and those sure. guys, I mean, they have shut down on days because, they, I mean, they... I'll, I'll paraphrase, but they said, man, we're beating the shit out of our employees. Yep. They need a life. So we're closing. Yeah. We're, we're, we're cutting off our, our lifeblood right. to let them recoup. Because yeah. ultimately that does translate uh, into you know bitter employees, mad employees. And that turns around to me sitting there enjoying the meal. Right. Um, and you look at, uh, it's Alex, I think it's Smith that owns the Atlas Restaurant yep. Group. He went to a $15 minimum wage, I believe, for every employee. And, you know, that again is is in response to this, I suppose, to for those nights where, you know, the Wednesday night where the shift may be real light, uh, you're at least guaranteed some a living minimum wage. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that looks better on paper than reality because most of the people that work for them are making 18 or $19 an hour. So right. at the end of the day, that's great. But I will tell you that ultimately, you have to put your employees first. The customer experience is important. Obviously, it's the lifeline. People want to come in, they want to have great food, they want to have great service. But if you're running your employees on the ground, how can you really provide that? And so we've taken some steps within the company. First and foremost, we give a gift every month to every single employee. We have over 500 employees. One month, it's a gas card. One month, yeah, it's, there, it's, you know, we give them something to Target, a, a gift card to Target, a Visa gift card. You know, Every month, we give a, a gift to every single employee in the company just to show them, hey, you know, we, we care about you guys. And it's not always necessarily about how big the dollar amount is, but it's something, right? Right? It's, a, it's a meal, it's a half a tank of gas, uh, it's a little shopping for your kids. And so we try to go out of our way to do things that really are tangible, that they can see and feel instead of us just telling them we care about them. I think I think everyone says that and we, we have good workplace culture, but what are you actually doing to foster that? We have events with the staff, we give all of our salaried managers um in addition to all of their time off, they don't work their birthday and they don't work their spouse's birthday, no matter what day it falls on. So we try to find those little things like that that we can do throughout the course of the year. But I do think it makes a difference and it all adds up. The little things add up. And when they take a step back and reflect upon, could I go across the street to another restaurant? The answer is yes, because at the end of the day, every restaurant's hiring right now. But Am I going to walk into the same work environment with the same people and the same company that puts me first? And Anthony is one of those guys who, who gets it and does that. And I think those are the operators who ultimately are going to be successful coming out of this because uh, employee retention is probably the most important thing we can do right now. We've got to keep the people we have and then add to that. Sure. Well, it's all obviously also a cost for you to train them in the no question. The, the black wall or the smashing way. Yep, absolutely. Uh, to do that. And our training really, because of the quality of candidate that we're hiring, we used to have a six to eight day training program for somebody to come in, learn the system and get on the floor. That's now turned into two to three weeks because we're hiring people, quite frankly, who've never opened a bottle of wine before. Um, they've never worked in the industry before and it just takes more time. Now, the, the good news is we're finding some incredible people and, and we're falling in love with them and they're doing a great job and they don't bring any bad habits and so we can train them our way, which is great. <laughs> um, so, But it just takes a little bit more time, money and energy to, to do that because the pool of employees that you're, you're pulling from don't tend to be those seasoned 12-year restaurant veterans that right. walk through the door. Right. Um, so it's a new, it's kind of a, a turning of the, a changing of the guard. It's a new generation coming into the industry and uh, you got to train them. Well, a lot, of, a lot of things have really changed as, as it goes over. I mean, I know there's been, and I've admit, I've seen this and I've I, I lived this, I guess, if you will, but, and I don't know whether I'm using the right term, but the, uh, you know, fast casual restaurants, which you know, we'll, you know, like the Green Turtles, the TGI mm -hmm. Fridays. And, and, you know, I just wrote down some notes here that, I mean, you, you look at Applebee's is gone. Macaroni is gone. The Green Turtles are mostly gone. Um, and people, myself included, have no problem paying, I mean, not exorbitant prices, but more prices for solid, good food sure. combined with the service. I mean, you look at, you know, the Tuscan Grill that came in there. Chop Tank is coming in. Certainly smashing grapes over at the mall and up at Gambrel's. Uh, we've got a new one in Annapolis, Harold Black, that's uh, coming in as well. And I, I think that the mindset of the consumer is probably changing. There's a difference between that $8 burger at the Green Turtle and 
the twelve dollar one or the fifteen dollar one, or yeah. you know, with the way inflation is going, it might be a twenty five. Yeah, right. It's closer to twenty soon. now. Well, I think you're absolutely right, and I think it's regional, right? So we tend to live in an area that's a bit more fluent, and we have the federal government that, that surrounds us, which pumps money into this area. We have taken the, you know, we tend to be a little bit on the higher end, um, but we really focus on in some of the areas, and and for instance, Watch Apple, where our Smashing Grapes is, is a great example, or even the Black Bull Bar and Lodge and Gambrels, providing an independent dining experience in, a, in an area that's saturated with fast food and fast casual. And what we found is that, you know, if given the opportunity, especially in some of the more suburban areas, if somebody doesn't have to get in the car and drive to downtown Annapolis, battle with parking, spend an extra... 15, 20 minutes each way in the car, so there's an hour, and provide that same experience that you can get in an urban setting of a Baltimore, D.C., or Annapolis in a bedroom community, they, they want it, right? That, that's incredible for them. So they can go to a Smashing Grapes, they can get a nice bottle of wine, they can listen to some live music, they're in a nice environment and decor, and they don't have to leave their neighborhood to go find that. And so that's where, where our business model is, is really looking for those areas that are underserved and areas where people feel like, well, you know, all we have is the Applebee's or the McDonald's or the Chick-fil-A and saying, well, let's give them another option. And we're seeing people are willing to spend the money if you give them that that experience and that that total dining experience. Sure, you know? sure. And, you know, with, with, the, with the price, with the value, with the, the higher end food, Naturally, it has to come with a service as sure. well, uh, you know, to a degree. I mean, I was at a restaurant the other the other night, and it was you know high, supposedly high end, and I'm like, the service was real mediocre. The food I thought was mediocre. I said, you're not going to get away on just on decor. I said, if I'm going to spend you know 140 bucks on you know dinner for two without any kind of booze and, and a steak, I'm going to Lunas's. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I could have gotten it at the steakhouse in Edgewater. Yeah. What I got, and I think you know I, I'm. I have a lot of empathy for for these operators because no restaurateur wants to give you mediocre service or mediocre food. Sure. The challenge is they've got three guys in the kitchen instead of nine. They've got two servers taking 15 tables instead of four. And so they're forced with some very difficult decisions to make and, and we've tried to navigate through that the best we can and and what we have done is taken the the mentality and the attitude of it's a marathon not a sprint it's important to protect our brand and sometimes you have to leave money on the table to do that and so if we are short-staffed on a specific Wednesday night and two servers call out sick and that leaves us with three or four servers when we typically would have eight or nine we will slow the seating down and we will close a section and while that's frustrating and it loses us revenue we've taken the calculus that we want everybody who actually does sit down with us to have a fantastic experience so that they when they think about the brand they remember that experience as opposed to could we have picked up an extra fifteen hundred dollars that night and squeezed ten more tables in there yeah but they all would have gotten media and then, then you're sitting over chick-fil-a tomorrow yeah exactly so <laughs> it's tough i mean I, I as i said i've been traveling a lot and i've had a lot of conversations with restaurant owners nationally and i'm, I'm part of the maryland restaurant coalition so, so we talk a lot 
there's nobody I know in the industry, in any state in this country, that's above 80% staffing of where they'd like to be to 100%. Industry average right now is about 65%. So it's really, really tough. And operators coming off the heels of losing a lot of money and owing banks money and owing landlords money are now forced into making really difficult decisions on, do I try to recoup this money and get out of debt? Or do I try to maintain my brand you know, uh, superiority and leave some money on the table? So I feel it too. I've eaten out a lot, and I've I felt that the quality of service and food over the last year has really declined in some of the nicest restaurants in the area, quite frankly. But I also have empathy for them because I understand what they're going through. And when I typically would want to go out to dinner with my wife, and after being in the industry 30 years, you kind of feel like I can take a Friday night off and go out to dinner. I've now found myself back in the kitchen every Friday night working to support my team and help these guys out. So, <laughs> so I certainly understand what everyone's going through right now. Well, the other the other half on this that we're that you're facing, the other struggle that you're facing, staffing and you know, maintaining the brand and everything else, but it's the supply. Okay, we, we're still getting there and. And I'll reference, you know, Anthony and Michael again. I mean, at one point they sent out a broadcast email saying, hey, guys, you're going to see our prices go up because here's here's the email we got from our suppliers saying, you know, yes, we've seen I think it was it was something like a 25% increase in, in, in the raw goods which I mean and it has to trickle up I mean we've got this inflation it, it's it's a, it's probably just as challenging as labor shortage right now and on a couple different fronts those letters that, that we get from our vendors we get them weekly and so the same letter that came a month ago that said they were going up 12% we got one last week that they're going up another 6% a lot of it is is gasoline right fuel sure. drives everything and Cost so 300 bucks just to get here. <laughs> you can't get the product in the back door without putting it on a truck. And before the truck, it probably was on a train or a plane or, right. a, bo- or a boat. And so we're seeing fuel surcharges on every invoice that we never saw before. We're seeing the actual cost of the product go up. And we're seeing inconsistency in the product. And so produce is a good example. You know, we may order 25 items and get 22 of them. And you never know what it's going to be every week. It might be no green beans this week, no broccoli next week, no sugar snap peas oh this week. Oh, my God. And that changes so, your whole menu and your whole plan that you've got to... Absolutely. So now the chef has to jump in and, and retweak specials and do things like that. And so it's really forced restaurateurs to re, re-engineer their menus, right? And, and and perhaps now it says seasonal vegetables as opposed to what it, what they well, want to put should, on the plate. should be here. Right? Um, and so, you know, the the Inflation and the cost thing, we have taken price increases twice since the end of the pandemic. Um, We try to keep them as minimal as possible. But at the end of the day, if we don't maintain our margins, we can't pay the rent and we can't pay our employees and we can't pay the bank. And so where does it end is the question. We hope that this will level off um, sooner rather than later. I think the, the positive thing, I guess, from a public perception standpoint for the restaurant industry, and I've had this comment five or six times from from customers is it's not any cheaper to go to a grocery store because the same thing's happening there no. and so historically people would say well many prices are raising you know let's just eat at home well eating at home these days can be just as expensive as going out to the restaurant if you if you you know if you 
order the right things. And so we're hearing from a public perception standpoint that nobody likes paying the prices, obviously, but they understand um, and they're seeing it everywhere. They go to Home Depot and a two by four costs four times what it used to. And sure. they're, they're hiring a, an electrician to come to their house and they're nine weeks out and it's, it's $400 to replace a ceiling fan. So it's in every segment of the economy right now. We get hit the hardest because people, I think, look at their check at a restaurant a little bit more than they do when they're out doing their day-to-day you know, shopping and things. But uh, we've maintained volume, but it does place additional pressure, to your point, on delivering, right? If you're going to pay more for a product, you expect a better, you know, you expect right. a you better will. experience. And value is something that's intrinsically embedded in everyone's mind when they purchase something. Did I get what I paid for? Was that a good value? Right. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're so right. I was at a conference in Boston one time, and I uh, literally missed the bus to whatever event they were doing that night. And I so I asked the uh, concierge at the hotel to recommend a good steakhouse, dime a dozen in Boston, but sure. they found it and it was uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it but I recommend it. it was down on Boylston Street so I go down there uh, sat at the bar the the bartender actually had roots in Annapolis so we were sitting there talking and, and everything else and I had I think two cocktails and it was all a la carte and everything else and he drops the bill down at the end it was like a buck 75 and I looked at him and went, <clears throat> yeah. you know pulled out the credit card and I got walking out I said you know but I don't regret it for a minute because it was I mean it was Spot on. It was the service. It was the food. It was the atmosphere. Uh, am I going there every night? Of no, course, right. but it was, you know, it, I didn't feel like I was ripped off. Yeah. And well, and I think coming out of the pandemic, having the opportunity to go out and sit at a restaurant and be waited on and converse with friends again, or even a business meeting is something that people miss so much that you know, dining out, and I understand this third-party delivery and DoorDash and all these things have changed a little bit the way people dine. I'm one of those believers that regardless of technology and, and third-party delivery and all those things, there is still always going to be the demand for people to be able to go out and sit down at a restaurant and have a server come take care of you and wait on you hand and foot and recommend a nice bottle of wine and give you a great experience to give you a break from life, right? That's what really dining at a restaurant is. To some people, it's substance, it's food. But I tell people, you can get food anywhere these days. There's great food trucks. There's great all mm-hmm. kinds of cook-at-home meals, delivered packages. But you, to, to stay relevant, I think you've got to provide more than just a great meal because I, th- I, th- I do think you can find that in a lot of places. We want to provide people with a getaway from life. Come out, enjoy your time, listen to a little bit of music, move to the bar after dinner. And if we can provide that total dining experience in a really nice environment with great decor, nice lighting, nice furniture, nice tables, with a really friendly staff who's on top of things, backed up by a great meal, I think we have a competitive edge over all these other things. It's a win. Easier to say than do. Obviously, a lot of challenges to get to that end result. But like anything in life, you just got to keep pounding away at it, and eventually you you overcome your hurdles. Well, that's true. I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned... um fuel surcharges that are showing up on your bills and stuff like that and I, I was at a restaurant the other week and there was a uh, I can't remember what they called it but it was it was something cutesy like a happiness surcharge <laughs> and it was six percent of, of the tab and I was like you know what the heck is this it wasn't 
painfully obvious saying this is optional, but it was. Uh, there was a little website to find out what this whole little six, and, and I went, and it was basically, it was to help pay for the health insurance and some of the benefits and perks and vacation time and stuff like that for this, the staff. Laudable. Everybody should have vacation and health insurance and everything, everything else. But, you know, my thinking is that if that burger needs to be, $16, $17, let's roll it into the burger as opposed to this nickel and dime thing. It reminds me of like the flying on the airlines now. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, you're getting nickel and dime for everything. You know, it's funny. I see it both ways. Um, we, a lot of restaurants, New York City, for example, every single restaurant in New York City now adds a credit card surcharge. Credit card companies have found a way to basically be every small business owner's partner and take 3% of their revenue. 99% of transactions now are credit card. Nobody pays with cash anymore. And so the credit card fees are exorbitant. They're 3%. And pretty much every small business owner in the world doesn't have a choice but to take this on as a partner and lose 3% of revenue. New York City and Washington, D.C. and Philly have decided to, a lot of restaurants have decided, we're going to pass it on to the consumer. And I've heard feedback on both ways. And we've just now started experimenting with this and a lot of I had an argument with a, with a customer and he said why don't you just raise your menu prices like you just said and I said to him well I would rather be transparent Right. At the end of the day, what you're paying for, there's a cash price and a credit card price. And if you use cash, I'm not going to charge you for that. If you pay by credit card, I'm offsetting the fee so that I don't take the loss. If I just raise my prices... And you come in and pay by cash. You're just a greedy, you're just a greedy SOB right, that just I'm raises just prices. I'm taking 3% of your bill that doesn't cost me anything that I'm not passing along. So we decided to, to be transparent with our, with our customers and not just raise prices and then take all this extra money from people who are not actually making us incur fees. But I think what you're seeing and, and what, you're, what you're kind of getting at is that it's this, you know, restaurateurs are trying to figure out how to get creative in bringing those extra few dollars in to close the gap on all the challenges that they're facing from increased labor. And going back to the labor piece, you know, somebody said to me the other day, well, you must, you must be making a lot more money because you have a lot less employees, but you're still busy. And the reality is our payroll costs have actually shot through the roof because we're paying on average 30% more to our employees. And most of them are in overtime. So now you're paying time and a half. So when you factor all that in, yes, we have less employees, which makes it harder to run the restaurant, and we're actually paying them more money. So it's, it's really a, it's a double hit. You just, you just don't realize. You don't realize the, all the different movements that, that go into this. Um, that, that how does it, you, you personally, are you, what's your background? Is it restaurant or business? Restaurant. So I grew up in Washington, D.C., um, washing dishes when I was 14. I worked for a guy who owned four restaurants in downtown Washington. It started out as a summer job and then became a passion of mine. And I worked for him for six years, going from dishwasher to food runner to busboy to line cook, um, eventually to the front of the house where I was a waiter and a bartender, and then got into management in Georgetown in my early 20s, and just continued to follow that path until I was ready to make the leap and, and try my own place. And I bought my first restaurant when I was 26 years old and worked 18-hour days three years in a row to, to make it work and then started to expand and I haven't looked back. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a passion, and I think you'll find that for most good restaurateurs as they grew up in the industry. They understand that they've worked in all the different facets of it. I'll go in on a Friday night, and if they need me to wash dishes, 
dishes or clean a toilet, I'm happy to do it. I've done it for 25 years, and I think that's what makes the staff respect me. And, and quite frankly, I'd rather be doing that stuff than sitting at the end of the bar. It's fun and get through the night faster. You show your team that you're, you're part of them. And, uh, and so the business thing actually came secondary to me. You know, unfortunately, I tend to spend more time in the office these days on business um, than I do in operations. I'd, I'd much prefer to be in operations, but the nature of what we do in dealing with lawyers and CPAs and um, landlords and leases and architects. As All we the non-fun, boring crap. It's, it's really not <laughs> what I got into the business to do, but it's um, it's part of the it's part of the job these days. I that's that's funny. Well, what what is new with Titan Hospitality Group? I mean, and. And again, you guys have Smashing Grapes, Blackwall Hedge, Blackwall Barn and Lodge. TitanHospitality.com is the main website, but SmashingGrapes.com, Blackwall Hitch Annapolis, Blackwall Hitch Alexandria.com. And then you lose the black wall and just call it Barn and Lodge up in yeah. <laughs> .com up in Gamble. So we got a little rustic on that concept, which we love and is doing fantastic. Great feedback. So I, I was, let me say, the black wall Barn and Lodge, uh, that was one of my girlfriend's and I go-to spots during the pandemic because you guys handled that so incredibly well. You had the tent out back, which was great, yeah. but the way that you reimagined the dining room with the, with the dividers, the, with and, the dividers yeah. and everything else, that was one place that we walked in and we said, and, and it's not very convenient to our house. Right. I mean, and not, it's not in my neighborhood. Right, right, uh, right. So, well, but, we appreciate that. But it, it was, it was, you know, this is some place that we can feel safe yeah. and, and do you guys did an outstanding job? I appreciate with that. you saying that. We put a lot of time and energy and money and thought into how to provide an environment where our guests did feel safe. Um, to answer your question, we are entering into another growth phase right now, so we're excited about that. We've signed two leases at the new Merriweather uh, development by Howard Hughes in downtown Columbia, so just steps from Merriweather Post Pavilion. Um, they're building a $400 million development, mixed use townhomes, shops, right. restaurants, or first to open will be another Blackwell Barn and Lodge and that is slated to start construction in late August and hopefully be open by the end of the year or early into 2023 um, and about six months following that will be a Smashing Grapes um, right across the park there from that so <clears throat> two brand new locations the Barn and Lodge is an 11,000 square foot property and then Smashing Grapes is about 6,500 square feet and those projects have been launched and, and are underway and we're working on architecture and construction now and now we're in search of one to two other projects. We're looking in Baltimore County. We're looking in Howard County and Harford County. And we're also looking a little bit outside the state. So we're looking in Pennsylvania, Delaware. You know, we really like our concepts and our brands. Um, the feedback we've gotten is great. And now we're looking for communities that we feel that would, would fit in there and provide, as I was saying earlier, another dining option for people who may be underserved in the finer dining side of things and be surrounded by fast food and, and chain restaurants, we think there's tons of communities across the East Coast that we could go into and provide that opportunity. Sure. And you're, you're keeping with the same two, basically the same two blends, the black, the black wall yeah, so Blackwall Black Barn and Lodge. So we really and look at them as three concepts. Um, the Blackwall Hitch being our, our downtown nautical urban concept close to the water or waterfront. Blackwall Barn and Lodge being our more uh, rustic, suburban, rural concept. And then Smashing Grapes really being a suburban bedroom community concept that can go into town centers and things like that, into underserved communities where a lot of these town centers, the developers and builders, when they build these, they go after the chain restaurants and the fast food because they want the big corporate lease guarantees. Sure. And it really 
in my opinion, does a disservice to the community because you build all these great things and you've got Bed Bath & Beyond and Wegmans and all these great retailers and then you have all these chain restaurants and you don't have any upscale independent restaurant tours. So well, we like those areas. That's what I really like about, again, the Smashing Grapes. Uh, again, it's uh, one of the restaurants that we do frequent in Naples. I mean, uh, if we can get a fire pit table, we'll jump sure. on that in a heartbeat. But, um, you know, that's... The one thing that I, I do appreciate about it, it's, it's different. Yeah. It's it's a different concept. It is not the, I mean, honestly, and I, I don't mean to diss on Applebee's or TGI Fridays sure. or whatever, but I mean, I, there's no difference between the two except for maybe the decor and, yeah. and you yeah. know, the name. Yeah. Um, and, and there is something different about Smashing Grapes. Yeah, so I think the challenge that you see in chain restaurants is just that. They're a chain restaurant. They have massive amount of units. And so in order to execute at a high level and be consistent across 300 units, you've really got to dump things down, right? And, right. And, you go on a TGI Friday, okay, we need a rowing shell up here at this point. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the onion ring has to be a frozen onion ring so that every, everyone can do it. We really pride ourselves on um, trying to be different and unique and provide a different experience across our company with the three concepts that we have, but also when we create new concepts, you know, Smashing Grapes came from the concept that there wasn't something like this in this area. And we went out to California. We spent two weeks out there. We visited uh, 66 different concepts um, in wine region out there. And we, we took a little bit from what we saw in all these different places and put it together and create our own coastal California concept on the East Coast, which we felt was really lacking here. And, and the feedback's been great. And so what is Coastal California? People ask, and we say, one, we have 360 bottles of wine on the wine list. We have the largest wine list in Anne Arundel County or probably in the state, quite frankly, for that matter. So we want to give people opportunities of region, wine regions all over, but, but focused on California, obviously. And then our food is a little bit on the lighter, healthier side with not, no heavy sauces and things like that. It's a little bit more healthy and, and upscale. And so a lot of short charcuterie boards and fresh fish and things like salads and things like that and the combination between the expansive wine list giving people um, an opportunity to try and taste wines from different regions not only of, of the country but of Spain and Argentina and, and we've gone international in one of the sections and people love that so when you combine the two kind of a unique food twist with a great wine selection in a really cool restaurant with great decor and cool lighting and outdoor patios and fire pits and things like that it's really been successful in the feedback has been overwhelming and so i think we've we've really hit a niche that people have yeah. fallen in love with well for those that don't aren't aware i mean the uh, smashing grapes are in gambles up at the village walk chapel town center is that what, what? Uh, village of walk chapel well, village of walk chapel they get them all confused up there yes. as well as down uh, just adjacent to the annapolis mall down in annapolis and Great place for dinner, but you also can do small groups because you do have that private. We do, private we do a ton of private events. Great area to host 30, 40 people for a birthday party, rehearsal dinner, graduation ceremony. People love that private room. And we also have two private outdoor areas that people can rent right. as well for months like this when the weather's nice. Right. Uh, Blackwall Hitch down certainly in Annapolis does have uh, several different private rooms ranging from little itty bitty ones to right. larger ones. You've got the rooftop deck as well. And uh, actually a good friend of mine from high school, her son just got married and had their reception there. Oh, fantastic. Um, had, a, had a great time on a horribly rainy day, but it was, uh, 
can't control. We can't control, <laughs> can't control that. Yeah. And Blackwell Barn and Lodge is also uh, very big on on larger events, the weddings, and which is you're more geared to handle a, a large. We get up to two hundred. We have a huge barn, hence the name, which is really upscale, whitewashed walls and hardwood floors and chandeliers and air conditioning and audio video and its own bar. And we do events up to two hundred there. Been a huge success. We have a wedding book pretty much every weekend for the rest of the year, so we're excited about that. Um, but yeah, any anyone in need of a large room for a large gathering, we have a, we have a beautiful venue for you. I remember when you did a contest to give away a wedding. Yeah, and very successful. That was one of those uh, that one sort of blew up, didn't it? On the it was sort of the unintended consequence because there was some. Yeah, there, yeah. Wasn't, wasn't there an influencer somewhere that was uh, a friend so of a friend of somebody, somebody think, that, that yeah. turned around, sent it out to a million, yeah, they got <laughs> a million votes or something? Yeah, I let my marketing team handle that 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 issue, but it was uh, it was really great great promotion and um, and it was great to to see the couple really deserved. To, to the backstory, we did it twice actually, and we'll probably do it again. But uh, you know, it's something. It's a feel good thing. It's nice to do, and at the end of the day, it also it gets us some a little bit of social media buzz, and, and that always helps the business too. So, without a doubt. Well, Titan Hospitality Group and James King, who uh, you know, thank you for your insight to this. You've I been uh, a time. wealth of information and. I think it really helps for people to understand sort of the uh, inner workings of yes. this. You know, when you when you do get that bill that says, "What the hell am I? What's this three percent American Express charge? Or right. what's this? Why why is my burger now fifteen dollars? Right. Um, hopefully, we're not going to see a twenty five dollar burger. But that's uh, oh, you've been in the restaurant business forever. When did pizzas turn into flatbreads? Great question. Uh, probably about a decade ago, um, and I think you know that stemmed probably from a lot of culinary guys trying to figure out how to take a traditional item that everybody likes and make it a little bit more upscale and do something unique and creative with it. We sell a, a billion of them. People absolutely love them. Um, I think people also feel that they're a little bit healthier on the thinner, crispier crust than eating a lot of doughy food and stuff. So the like key that. word in that, so, think. Uh, I think it depends on which one you order, right? If you're getting artichokes and those types of things, it's not bad. But when you're piling on three different meats and cheeses, and then, then I think you're, you're getting what you asked for. But I think you can. Let's let's say you can have a healthy flatbread, depending on what you put on top of it. So. Fantastic. Well, you want to visit TitanHospitality.com, SmashingGrapes.com. We'll get you to both locations, probably all three locations yes. when that one opens up in uh, Columbia, Blackwall Hitch, Annapolis, or Blackwall Hitch, Alexandria.com. And Alexandria is a great location. To right on the river and uh, right in the Fantastic. old torpedo factory, isn't it? It is, and it stares. Uh, you know, you can see Washington D.C. and and right down the river, the Washington Monument, and all the airplanes landing at National Airport. So it's a very cool location. Yep. And then Barn and Lodge up here in Gambrels, which is uh, the old Kaufman's the rest old in Kaufman's. place, rest in peace. So that's right. Thank you so much for your time, your insight, and. You know, really, congratulations for making it through this because there were, as you probably know, there were thousands that yeah, didn't. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that, and uh, you know, hopefully, we've made it through it. We still have some challenging days ahead, but we uh, we will continue to work hard and, and try to rebuild. And uh, you know, the industry as a whole is uh, is a very resilient industry, so I think we'll make it back. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ion Annapolis. 
And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday. 